Good morning. Welcome to First Unitarian Church. I'm Angela Herrera. Come on in. I'm the senior minister here at First Unitarian, and I am here today with Tech Arts Director Chris Paul, with lay leader John Eldridge, DJ Vance Bass, and ushers Michaela and Raymond. We are so glad to see you today. We especially welcome anybody who's here for the first time this morning or the first time in a long time. And if that's you and you feel comfortable, we invite you to put your name and location in the chat box so we can greet you personally. And now John has some announcements for us. Good morning. Great to be with you again. Glenn Cappy's poem captures the feeling of this summer morning. Summer morning chill, butterfly floats in my yard. How like a leaf. We have three announcements this morning. First, and with regret, we observe that COVID-19 cases have been rapidly increasing in Bernalillo County. The COVID Act Now warning system has had the county at orange or high risk for the last few weeks. According to our reopening policy, this means the campus must close to small in-person gatherings again until our area has returned to yellow for four consecutive Sundays. Large in-person gatherings such as Sunday services are not scheduled to resume until September 12th. Between now and then, we'll continue to monitor the situation and share updates with you in the Sunday services and in the e-broadsheet. Next, First Unitarian is hiring. We're looking for an experienced director of operations to provide management, planning, and leadership for the congregation's daily operations and campus facilities. We hope that you'll get the word out to anyone who would be a great addition to the church staff. You can find more details on the church's website. And finally, do you have a spiritual or ethics question for our ministers? Well, here's your chance. On Sunday, August 29th, Angela and Bob will deliver a question box sermon. That means instead of preaching a sermon, they'll draw your questions out of a hat and take turns responding. You can turn in your questions by putting it in the chat box. Simply type, Dear Ministers, in front of it so no one tries to answer it for you in the chat. Or you can email your questions to specials, that's plural specials, at uuabq.org. As we light our congregational chalice with these words from both a Chinese and a Japanese proverb, please feel free to light your own chalice. There are many paths to the top of the mountain, but the view from the top is always the same. As is the light that shines upon all. Oh, 
Ms. Ann, would you light the chalice as we say our principles? Each person is important. Kind and fair in all you do. We're free to learn together. We search for what is true. All people need a voice. Build a fair and peaceful world. We take care of our planet. We work together for diversity and against racism and oppression. Thank you, everybody. Hi, I'm Reverend Emily Wright Magoon, and I'm Cora Wright Magoon. And we are really excited that Reverend Angela and Reverend Bob invited us to tell you a story today. We are going to tell you the story of Anansi and the dispersal of wisdom. So Cora is Anansi, a special creature. I wonder if you can guess what kind of creature Cora is, that Anansi is. I'll give you two hints. Anansi has how many legs? One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight. Eight legs. What creature has eight legs? And what creature has how many eyes? One, two, three, four. What creature has eight legs and eight eyes? A, a spider. spider. Anansi is a spider. Now this story comes to us from present day Ghana in Africa, from the Ashanti people. And we are very grateful to the Ashanti people and all their descendants for creating and passing along this story, which we tell today. So Anansi was a very clever creature, but Anansi wanted even more wisdom. Um, excuse me, maybe not everyone knows what wisdom is. Oh, right. Thank you, Cora. I mean, Anansi. Not everyone might know what wisdom means. Wisdom is things that you know. So, Anansi wanted all the world's wisdom and to keep it safe in one place. So Anansi took all the world's wisdom and put it in a pot. Then Anansi wanted to put it in a safe spot where nobody could find it. And he wondered where that spot might be. Finally, he figured it out. He was gonna put that pot of wisdom in the top of the tallest tree. So Anansi put that pot of wisdom around his neck and strapped it to his belly and commenced to climb the tallest tree. Anansi was climbing the tree, and usually it's pretty easy for spiders to climb, but this time the pot of wisdom on his belly was in the way, so Anansi just kept trying and falling. 
Now there was someone who was sitting at the bottom of the tree watching a Nazi. And it was a tiny, tiny spider. It was a Nazi's son, Nitakuma. And Nitakuma shouted and laughed and said, Anansi, why are you climbing the tree with the pot on your belly? Put it on your back and then you can climb the tree with ease. But Anansi didn't want to listen to a tiny, tiny spider. And so Anansi just kept climbing the tree and falling and climbing and falling and got so exhausted that finally Anansi said, well, let me try Nitakuma's advice. So Anansi put the pot on his back. And sure enough, Anansi could then climb to the top of the tree with ease. When Anansi got there, Anansi was going to stash the pot and hide it away forever. But then he thought, wait a minute, if a tiny, tiny spider, my son Nitakuma, knew what to do and had that wisdom, what is the use of all of this wisdom? And so in futility and frustration, Anansi seized the pot and threw it to the ground. And it, and it broke into shards. And then a storm came. And it picked up all of the shards and all of the world's wisdom which washed into a river, into the sea, and then it dispersed, it spread all over the world. And so now, thanks to Anansi and Nittaguma, wisdom can be found all over the world. Do you want to take a bow? Thank you, Emily and Cora. I think that story was so delightful. It was so fun to see little Cora uh, helping her mom uh, with our time for all ages this morning. I think if we were in our sanctuary right now, I'd be going up to the pulpit to start the meditation and you would probably be applauding and applauding and applauding that little story. So feel free to share some Zoom applause for Cora and Emily. <laughs> And let's let that nice feeling wash over us. And let's pause the chat for a few minutes for the meditation and prayer now. And let's settle and breathe. And just savor this moment, a happy moment. I've had so many feelings this week. How about you? I had taken a break from closely tracking the pandemic for a while. I kept an eye on the numbers, but I wasn't delving into the details like I had been all last year. It was such a relief to be vaccinated earlier this late spring and early summer and for life to begin feeling a little bit more normal again. And then, as another wave of infections has ramped up in the last couple of weeks, I heard of several breakthrough cases in my family's social circle, cases 
in people who have had the vaccines. And, you know, since January, I think I'd heard of maybe two or three kinds of cases like that. And then suddenly I knew of maybe five in one week. And it really seemed like something had changed. And something has changed, right? And in church, we're here for the all of it, for whatever life brings. So I want to hold some space right now for this hard thing that we're experiencing. Some space to acknowledge that what we knew about COVID-19 in June is outdated now. That Delta is more contagious and six feet is not enough anymore. That it's more dangerous. That vaccines help a lot and that vaccinated people are catching and spreading this variant. That's new. And it means that even the vaccinated have to take additional precautions to slow the spread for our children, for our elders, for people who are sick with something else right now and need us to help protect them so that they have a chance to get better. And after all that we went through last year, this setback is extremely unwelcome, right? Extremely unwelcome. So how are you feeling? Angry? Sad? Scared? Stubborn as hell? Right? I see you. Let's breathe, though. Inhalation. Pause, exhalation. Just like that, rise, peak, release. This too shall pass. It's different from last year's long wait. We know more, we have better tools, and this too shall pass. So we'll breathe and we'll see the other side of it together. If you like, I invite you to put your screen in gallery view so you can see the community that is with you. And we'll continue now with two minutes of silence.
They say that a joy shared is doubled, whereas a sorrow shared is divided. Please share your joys and concerns in the chat bar now as prompted by the video. If you cannot share in the chat bar today for any reason, we still want to hear from you. Contact us at caring at uuabq.org. See? 
all these joys and concerns we hold together. And to these, I add from the pastoral prayer list, Judy Goring, who is experiencing illness and went to the hospital this week. May she be well. I add the McCord and Williams family, Sarah and Carla and their children who are also experiencing illness and life transitions. We wish them resilience and health. We lift up Nancy Cushman and Margot Milleret, both recovering from surgery today, this week. May their recovery be swift and healing blessings to all of these, to Judy, the McCord Williams family, Nancy and Margot. And I also lift up the family of Santiago Carvalho, whose memorial service is today. Santi died unexpectedly just last week from illness. He was a sweet young man whose family attended the uh, Edgewood Ranch regularly for many years. May his mother and brother be comforted in this terrible time. May Santi be at peace. May light perpetual shine upon him. Join me in prayer. Source of all, love that holds all. All these loved ones, all these prayers and hopes we lift up to you. And we pray for courage today. The courage to do what must be done. The courage to care for ourselves and for each other. The courage to ask for help when we need it. We pray for our world and our city and our congregation where everyone is essential and no one is expendable. We pray for our planet, for all of life. And we give thanks for this world's beauty, for its abundance of loving hearts and its resilience, its capacity for healing, for its children and wisdom stories and playfulness and joy. We give thanks for its deep currents of love and justice, which transcend the vicissitudes of politics, which outlast epics and plagues. We rededicate ourselves to that, to being present and persistent also, to being faithful and steady in the days and the months to come. Amen. And peace be with you.
our reading this morning is, there was a time I would reject those by the 12th century Muslim mystic, Mahideen Ibn Harabi. There was a time I would reject those who were not my faith, but now my heart has grown capable of taking on all forms. It is a pasture for gazelles, an abbey for monks, a table for the Torah, Kaaba for the pilgrim. My religion is love. Whichever the roots love's caravan shall take, that shall be the path of my faith. Whichever route love's caravan shall take, that shall be the path of my faith. I chose this reading by Muhayyadeen Ibn Arabi because I find that line so courageous. It reminds me of our Unitarian and Universalist ancestors whose intellectual and spiritual courage led our denomination to become a creedless one, such a bold move. And I feel like these lines capture the courage we 21st century UUs are called to hold now and to have. It's a tumultuous century. It's one where love can and will guide us if we are brave enough to follow. As we prepare for our return to our sanctuary this fall, I've been thinking about that sacred space, about what it means to us and how much of it we've brought with us into this virtual space and about who we are. And if you've seen the inside of our sanctuary in person, then you know that the centerpiece of it is a long mural that is almost as wide as the whole room. And it's right behind the pulpit and has interfaith symbols on it from end to end. Here it is, if you've never seen it in person before, or if you just haven't seen it in a long time. It's made of wood tiles. Does anybody know how many there are? Would you like to guess? Let's make sure the chat is open. Yes, it's open. And I invite you to share your guesses in the chat box. I wanna say that the mural is something in my mind, I think it's about 60 feet long and 10 feet tall, but I'm not completely sure about those dimensions. I do know each wood square tile is about four inches by four inches, but they're not all the same size or shape. The number of tiles is a big number, I'll tell you that. And while you're sharing your guesses, here are some interesting facts, each one, was hand cut by the artist Alexander Girard and his son Marshall. They traveled all around New Mexico, collecting wood from old barns and other structures, and then they cut it into smaller pieces. And they did not add any paint. So each of those pieces is the color that it was when they found it in the New Mexico landscape. All right, let's see if anybody guessed right. I'm looking, woo, 11,000. 12,000, I see some really big guesses. What's the lower end? 4,500. These are good guesses. So it has about 5,000 tiles, approximately. Some of you are really close. Many people have told me that when they came to the church for the first time, they were deeply moved by the presence of that mural. It is an unusual work of art for a church. Not every congregation would place an interfaith mural right in the center of its sanctuary. 
So how did we come to do so? People are often surprised to learn that the Puritans are direct ancestors of this church. Yes, those Puritans, like the ones from the classic book, The Scarlet Letter. Well, that book is about the Puritans of the 1600s, but it was written by their direct uh, descendant, Nathaniel Hawthorne, in the 1800s. And in Hawthorne's time, Puritanism had led to Congregationalism, which is just when congregations are self-governing instead of reporting to some kind of bishop or other higher authority. And within this culture of self-governance that had emerged, there were a handful of free-thinking ministers, people like Ralph Waldo Emerson and William Ellery Channing, whose embrace of logic and reason led them to question whether the Bible was literally true. And they found that the Bible made more sense when it was approached as a historical text rather than a divinely written one. Well, that paved the way for the transcendentalist movement, which looked to nature and to other world religions for inspiration. And pretty soon, you know, after another hundred years or more, there was no need for a creed anymore. So in short, it was one of those, if you give a mouse a cookie kind of situations, if you let congregations govern themselves, govern themselves, they just might start thinking differently and then decide that you don't need to think alike to love alike, as we say. In the 1900s, the denomination embraced its theological diversity to the point of no longer identifying as a Christian church, even though we came to that point by way of Christianity. And we did not give up the name Christian because we were tossing Christianity all the way out. Rather, Unitarian Universalists took their best understanding of the Christianity they had inherited, a spirit of love, truth-seeking, and service, and they allowed it to grow into something much larger in spirit. And this church, this congregation was first gathered in 1949. In the 1960s, they acquired the land on the corner of Carlisle and Comanche, which was so far out in the desert at that time that some people got really mad about it and quit the church. And that seems silly to us in hindsight, but this is what I mean when I say feelings can be really strong in times of transition. The architect Harvey Hoshauer, who designed our old sanctuary back then, was friends with Alexander Girard. And he recruited him to create some kind of art for that room. The congregation showed Girard a couple of smaller pieces of art they had. Both of those had interfaith symbols on them. So he used that as his inspiration. So I wanna walk you through the symbols on our mural today. Something that's actually easier to do on Zoom than in person with it so far away. So let's show a slide of the whole mural again. There are 20 symbols on it. So we're gonna to have to hop along. We're gonna get through them all in a short time, but this will give you a sense of their meaning and how they come together. This first one would be easy to miss. It's just not as flashy as the others. It represents the two stone tablets that Moses brings down from the mountain in the book of Exodus with the 10 commandments engraved on them. 
This story is found in both the Jewish Torah and in Christian Bibles. The six-pointed star is most closely associated with Judaism, where it's called the Star of David. But this symbol is also found in Christianity, Islam, and Hinduism as well. In Hinduism, the two interlocking triangles that form the star represent the merging of spiritual elements like male and female, or God and humanity. Next, the fish. According to tradition, in the first few centuries after Jesus died, while Christians were being persecuted by the Roman Empire, the fish was used to point Christians towards secret meeting places. It's a fish, and it's also an arrow. This symbol is an equilateral cross. In Christianity, it's a Greek cross, but the symbol is actually much older than Christianity. In pre-Christian times, it seems to have represented the four seasons, the four elements, the four directions, that kind of thing. And I'm actually wearing a variation on that cross today in my necklace. Here is a less common symbol, Constantine's Labyrinth. That was a symbol of Christianity, but it was a military one. And it was used like a flag by the Roman Emperor Constantine. So a minute ago, we saw the fish symbol, the secret symbol that Christians used to avoid persecution by the Romans. Well, Constantine flipped that script and by adopting Christianity, he transformed it from the subversive gospel of the poor that Jesus preached to a religion that was associated with power. The X shape and the P shape in the symbol are the Greek letters Ki and Rho, which are the first two letters in Christos, or Christ. Now, if this military symbol is making you have second thoughts about what's on our mural, just hang in there because remember that this is all part of a bigger picture. Letters I, H, S represent more Greek letters. They are a contraction of the name Jesus, or Jesus. Here's the familiar Roman cross, which represents, of course, the crucifixion of Jesus. And less familiar in this part of the world is the triple bar cross. This is an Orthodox cross. Our website describes it as a Greek cross, but it's actually more common in Russian Orthodox churches one bar is a footrest, that's the slanted bottom part. And the other is a sign that Pontius Pilate had inscribed above Jesus's head in the crucifixion story. And last among the specifically Christian symbols, the delta and trefoil was common in the late middle ages. The delta is the triangle, the trefoil is the shape with overlapping rings. Three points, three rings, three personages of the Christian God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Together, all of these Christian symbols on the mural actually reveal that diversity and change already existed in Christian history long before the Puritans gave a mouse a cookie. So now we have the first of two vessels containing fire. This vase of fire is from Zoroastrianism. In Zoroastrian temples, 
the, they're called fire temples. The fire represents the light of God and of the illumined mind. Unlike our UU chalices, which are lit and extinguished in each service, the flame in a fire temple burns continuously. The sun is also said to be associated with Zoroastrianism. And I couldn't find any sources online linking this particular sun symbol with the faith, but there could have been some artistic license taken here. And I see a couple of you offering more information about symbols and what they connect to in the chat, and I welcome that. That's great. This star is for transcendence and also for astro worship. Those are traditions that associate stars and other celestial bodies with deities. Sun and moon gods and goddesses are included here. And this one's really high up, approximately in the center of the mural. Every once in a while, somebody sends a picture they took of me preaching with this one, like a crown around my head due to its location, making me look like some kind of celestial being. But I assure you, I'm just a regular person who talks to puppets. When Alexander Gerard included the star and crescent here, it had come to be associated with Islam. However, that is because it was a symbol of the Ottoman Empire, not because of anything inherent in the Islamic tradition. In the late 1900s, some Muslims pushed back against the use of it as an Islamic symbol, saying that it represented states or nationalism, not the faith. In this way, the symbol is somewhat similar to Constantine's labyrinth, which was on his military flag. In 2012, when we moved the mural from the old original sanctuary building into the new one, we wondered whether it would be more respectful of our Muslim neighbors for us to replace this symbol with something else. In the end, we decided to keep the mural intact. Before the Ottoman Empire, the Star and Crescent were symbols of astral worship. So today they represent all of that history. And when we tell this story, they also become a symbol of the importance of listening, of letting go of old ideas and embracing new learning. The yin and yang is from ancient Chinese philosophy. It's associated with Taoism and Confucianism, and it conveys how forces or dynamics that seem like opposites may actually be complementary and interconnected. It also portrays a sense of interdependence and here it's surrounded by hexagrams from the I Ching, an ancient Chinese divination text. Okay, when I first encountered this symbol, I thought it was another kind of cross, but it isn't. It's an Ankh, an ancient Egyptian hieroglyph that means life. It's also sometimes called the key of life, and it does kind of look like a key, doesn't it? The lotus blossom found in Hinduism and Buddhism represents purity, enlightenment, and rebirth. It's often noted that a lotus flower begins in the mud before rising to bloom in the light. And the ancient Egyptians also found lotuses to be powerful symbols. Well, this one you might have seen on a lot of t-shirts and bumper stickers, but it's more than that it's the om symbol of course om or om a-u-m it's hindu buddhist jain and sikh 
It's another multivalent symbol, meaning it has many different meanings. One is that when pronounced as three syllables, Aum, it refers to creation, manifestation, and destruction. In other words, the whole universe. So just a few more now. The eight spokes wheel is for the eightfold path in Buddhism. There are many variations on the wheel in Buddhism, Hinduism, and Jainism too. Next, we have the Tori, which is from Shintoism, where it represents the gateway to a Shinto shrine and the threshold between mundane and sacred. So very large and very off, or slightly off center there, I think to keep us from getting too full of ourselves is the symbol of Unitarian Universalism. Two interlocking circles representing the merging of two traditions, one with the chalice for the light of truth, the warmth of community, and like any good symbol, other meanings too. And one circle with a cross representing our religious heritage. You'll notice that the cross too is off center, and this is said to leave room for the wisdom of science, nature, and other traditions. And finally, in the center of our mural, a heart, which is not associated with any particular religion. When the congregation asked Alexander Gerard about it, he said it was a very important symbol because it represents our relationships with each other, and the spirit of love that works within and beyond all religions. The mural really is remarkable. I've only barely touched on the meaning of these symbols and we bring our own interpretations to the mural too. To you, it may mean more or other things and that's also part of its power. Art is like that. Now, here's something that can be challenging about having an interfaith faith. Because of all of our theological diversity, occasionally somebody assumes that in a Unitarian Universalist church, you can believe whatever you want. And sometimes when we criticize certain beliefs or positions, you use are even accused of being hypocrites. Aren't all beliefs equal? It's a seemingly tough question, but actually, I mean, the answer is just no, actually no. It matters quite a lot what we believe. Think about it. Whether someone is considered human or not is shaped by what we believe. Who can marry? Who is treated as a person and who is merely a commodity? Whose rights will be defended and which ones all are shaped? by what we believe, whose child is seen as precious and whose will be allowed to languish in extreme poverty, that is shaped by beliefs. And as we are acutely aware right now, who protects themselves and others during a pandemic and who refuses to do so also depends on beliefs. The claim that if you embrace diversity, you have to support harmful or patently false beliefs is similar to the claim that you aren't practicing tolerance if you denounce intolerance. 
right? Kind of a logical loop. It doesn't make any logical sense because to follow it is to allow harmful behavior to flourish. And that's not what we're about. What we are about is that spirit of love though, that heart that's in the center of our sanctuary. The heart is the center around which we gather, whether it is in our far-flung campus all the way out there on the corner of Carlisle and Comanche or right here up close on Zoom. So you use disagree with some things and sometimes you use even disagree with each other, but whether we agree or disagree, the UU way is to do so grounded in love and from a place of love and guided by it. And the heart is why we have the courage to say, my religion is love. Whichever route love's caravan shall take, that shall be the path of my faith. May it be so. And may you have love and courage and peace in your heart. Let's take a moment to observe the power of generosity. To paraphrase Alexander Pope, in faith and hope, the world would disagree, but all humankind's concern is charity. The links in the chat will guide you for your offering. The Brain Injury Alliance of New Mexico is our change for the future recipient for the months of June, July, and August. The Brain Injury Alliance of New Mexico provides information, referral, support, and advocacy for people in New Mexico with brain injury. You can make an offering online by clicking on the link that we'll put in the chat box. And if you prefer not to give online, you can simply mail a check to the church and include change for the future on the memo line.
let's hear it for the musicians. <laughs> yes, that was wonderful. What is generously given is received with gratitude. Thank you on behalf of the congregation and on behalf of the Change for the Future recipient this quarter. I also want to extend a special thanks to our tech team. You know, running the technology behind the services is a, such a challenging job when things go well. You may have noticed we've had some technical difficulties today, and I just applaud the courage of our team and their perseverance. I'm so grateful for all that they do. Zoom applause for you, tech team. So we're coming now to the end of this formal time for the service. And you're invited to stay for small group conversations afterward. If you'd like to do that, just stay through the postlude and we'll create some breakout rooms. And in those, you might like to have a conversation starter. So here's a question to get your conversations going. Are there particular symbols or aspects of the mural or other symbols in our sanctuary that you particularly connect with or that are meaningful to you in some way? If so, what are they? And what do they mean to you? Are there particular symbols that you connect with? Which ones, what do they mean to you? And now it is time to extinguish our chalices and candles. Let us do so with these words. This is the day we have been given. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. Let us live wisely, love courageously, and bless all whom we are blessed to meet. Go in peace, friends. <laughs>